All right, welcome back for another edition of The Final Mile, where we answer your questions. Keep sending them to us through the YouTube comments, through email, info at Freight360.net, or just go to our website, Freight360.net. Uh, there's a contact form right in there. Um, and if you'd like to learn more about Freight360 and our training, check out the Freight Broker Basics course to learn everything from how to start your brokerage and succeed in the industry. And please take a moment, check out the sponsors <clears throat> in the description or show notes. It'll help support this channel. All right. Our first question comes, the first couple came right from our, uh, uh, directly from our listeners, I believe through email. And uh, the first question from Gavin says, how can I reach out to non-asset or asset light freight brokerages to help provide warehousing solutions for their clients. So I'm assuming he works for a warehousing uh, 3PL or something along those lines and wants to know, how do I reach out to brokers that might need this? Or even um, the asset light freight broker. Basically, we'll answer this question. How do you get a hold of carriers and brokers that might need warehousing services? Go ahead, Ben. Use Kevin Hill's new product, Brush Pass Research. Yeah, I mean, so that's how you would identify them, right? That's how you're going to find. So, like, we talk about lead gen and and prospecting as two different activities. So, how do you actually generate the leads? Well, yeah, Brush Pass Research from uh, Kevin Hill is a great product. If you don't know, check out their website. It's brushpassresearch.com, I believe. But he's got data on a lot of the um, brokerages out there for contacting. It's almost like the Zoom info, but for brokers. Yeah. so that's how, again, there's public data from FMCSA to get a hold of new entrants as far as carriers and brokers. As, you know, that's another way. Now, how do you actually prospect them? It's the same way that we prospect shippers, right? We need to find, uh, we need to identify what the need would be that we can um, provide a solution for. So, if I'm a, a warehousing company, I don't have. I don't have a ton of detail on on Gavin's company or situation, but if I have a, I'll just give an example. Because, well, so my company, our our brokerage, we've got a trucking company as well in central Florida, and we're going to be converting part of our um, dock space into um, store, like basically warehousing. We might be building a temperature controlled storage unit as well because we've identified the need from certain shippers in that area for that kind of storage, right? So if I have, I'll use central Florida, if I have a um, temp controlled warehouse, or storage area in central Florida, what would be a good use for that? Well, first of all, there's the the obvious need of people that need additional storage in that area throughout the year. The other unique situation is Florida has very fluctuating uh, rates throughout the year, right? So we have companies that ship into Florida throughout the year. So how can it's stuff that can be stored for like six months, right? Let's say beverage, for example, like beer, uh, pop or cola, whatever you call it from where you're from. Um, if your stuff needs to be temperature controlled and actually soda is probably a terrible example because it doesn't have to be, but like, let's say it's beer or some kind of frozen product or uh, produce that can be put to sleep, quote unquote. If I can get my product sent down there in the cheap time and have it stored for four months while I weather those expensive prices to send trucks into Florida, that is a, gr- it's a win-win, right? That's a great, use of a storage facility when you're trying to avoid fluctuating rates. Now, that's a more of a unique situation. The other situation would be um, 
if you have, let's say you're in like the Atlanta area or, the, or Chattanooga or Chicago, there's a lot of highway traffic through there. Cross dock services are pretty common. So I'm going to yep. probably target um, brokerages that have customers in this area, which is hard to tell, but motor carriers that are based in that area will oftentimes need, if you're an owner operator and you're based in that area, you don't have a terminal to go to or a small fleet doesn't have a terminal. You're going to want warehousing space for cross dock for, you know, fill in the blank on whatever that need might be. But I would target people that are in your area. If that's what the case is, if you have a specific uh, niche for your warehouse, like if you are in Laredo or Tijuana and there's cross border stuff going on, I'm going to target carriers in that area that might have, um, relationships with cross-border shipments. Um, if it's just a general anywhere location, I'm probably going to target folks in that area and um, prospect them to see if they have any need. Do you guys have any customers that often need storage or cross-dock services or uh, pick and pack, whatever? I don't know what this guy's warehousing company does, but you've got to go through this standard traditional prospecting method that we go through as brokers with uh, shipping customers. Um, what do you think? You got anything else to add on that one? Not really. The, the only point I would add is that I would use different messaging for different things. Like if you've got a general message to reach out to everyone across the country, that's a different message I'm going to use versus into a specific area, right? So I think the most effective either emails or phone conversations are what you outlined, right? Group them together where you can find some common criteria that you can use for all of them, right? Whether it's, you know, Florida, hey, everyone's kind of running into the same thing at the same times around produce season, or like you said, another good example is cross border around, you know, Mexico. Hey, we know that volumes are picking back up. If you have any temporary needs for cross stock, reach out another message. Hey, if you got any longer term needs, reach out and just keep getting that message out there because brokers tend to need them without knowing in advance. It's usually a customer reaches out. Hey, I need help with this now because this yeah. warehouse fell through. This truck broke down. I need a cross stock. It's usually just in time. So getting that message out consistently over time, I think would also be a really important aspect of that. Agreed 100%. And I was thinking about this when you were talking. I was like, I would, you know, I prefer, like, I like getting prospected um, by companies that offer services to freight brokers. Because that way, at least I know when that need arises, I know where to go. Whereas like if I need a warehouse and I have no, or let's say a freight forwarder is a great example. If I need a freight forwarder for a customer and I have no connection with any freight forwarder, I, have, I don't even know where to start. But the fact that I know people at a dozen different forwarders and what they specialize in, I know if I've got a shipment that needs assistance in a certain niche, hey, John over at ABC Forwarding, I've talked to him a couple of times. I'm pretty sure he can handle this. And it's the same way that a shipper, if a truck falls out, they're going to go to that that broker that's been calling them every week for six months, right? So good good question, though. Um, next one. I think this one came from Facebook. Uh, Kyle on our group said, brokers, why are you not giving the pickup number at the same time as the rate confirmation? Why is it not on the rate con itself? And why are you lying about pickup times and warehouse hours? Don't you think us carriers will find out about your lies? These things are valuable pieces to our daily planning, as if we don't have enough SHIT to worry about. When drivers find out you aren't trying to help us or help keep us moving, you will start losing them. People write and read reviews nowadays more than ever. I guess I just said shit. I don't know why I uh, spelled that out. but um, So <clears throat> there's like two things I want to talk about here. The first part is... Um, 
I want to address what actually might be an issue here. And that is if you if there's a broker that's lying about pickup times or lying about pickup hours, totally wrong. So I just want to sure. set, set that out there. But why would a broker not give out a pickup number? Well, there's a ton of reasons. Uh, yes. Double brokerage, like fraud, fraud right now is massive. It's kind of an industry best practice right now to not give out pickup numbers until you verified that person is who they say they are in the equipment they say they have um, and all that good stuff. I remember even like before double brokering got bad, go back like uh, seven, eight years ago. I remember um, not including the full pickup address on the rate con as a measure to, to prevent double brokerage. Yep. And it wasn't even like a rampant thing in the industry, but it was like, hey, every now and then this stuff will get double brokered. So for these new carriers that we don't trust or might have some red flags, um, we're just going to give them the city and state until they're actually there. And then once they're in that vicinity, we'll give the full pickup address. Well, um, here's the other thing it does too. And I've always liked that because the other thing it does, it helps with a, with a broker to know where the carrier really is, right? Like if you've got, you still have some leverage. If you give the carrier everything to your point, putting double brokerage aside, like there's no reason for the carrier now to pick up the phone. So it's very common. And, and I understand carriers have other things to do. They don't want to have to constantly keep answering phone calls, right? But let's just say I got a scenario where my customer's like, hey, I need an update. This pickup for this load is really important. Where is the carrier at? You know, if it's one this afternoon, is he on his way? How close is he? Call the carrier. He doesn't answer because he's like, well, I got the pickup number. I got the address. I'll get there when I get there. I don't need to keep answering these questions. Well, now my customer's yelling at me. I've got no ability to help them by even just getting information because the carrier has no reason to answer the call. If I have retained, to your point, the actual address, the carrier's at least going to answer my call because if he's stuck at his last pickup and it's not his fault, it's not about somebody being wrong. It's just like, hey, they're taking longer than I expected to unload and they don't want us to be upset with them. I get it. But the reality is like, we need to know that so that we can yeah. convey this back to where they're going to let them know, hey, these guys will be 30 minutes late. Can you still load him? Maybe that answer is no in some scenarios, right? So like it was also a very effective tool to be able to help get information when we really need it because that also benefits the carrier. doesn't do them any good to show up at a place that isn't going to load them if they're 45 minutes late and those things changed while they were at their last delivery, right? Which things happen in the industry that can occur. So there's yep. some real legit reasons why that happens. And so back to Kyle's question, um, he's likely a carrier that probably feels like he's being disrespected. Like, why don't you trust me? Yeah. Yeah. There's an easy way to pose this stuff. Like, um, if you got a brand new carrier and they look fine on highway or whatever vetting system you're using, but it's a common practice to, you know, take certain measures with new carriers. Just tell them like, Hey man, you look, you know, you look perfectly good. You look great on all of the vetting stuff. We just have a company policy. Anyone that's new, um, we're going to provide the specific pickup number or PO number. Um, once we verify that the driver's on site, we're going to, you know, we're trying to make that easy using GPS or just send us a picture when you're there. Um, shipper knows you're going to be arriving and um, we want to make sure that they don't have any adjustments in the pickup number as well before you get there. Yeah. That's simple, right? Now they have context as to why you're doing these things. All right. Next question. Is it always slow around the holidays? Um, 
it's usually busy leading up to the holidays and then it, it's slow. So we're talking about Chris. First of all, Merry Christmas, everybody. I think if this is uh, well, this will release on the 26th. So I hope you had a good Christmas yesterday if you're listening on Tuesday. Um, so usually leading up to the holidays, you've got that peak season of shipping and it's it tends to like build up a little bit before Thanksgiving and gets really heavy. This is in general, right? It gets really heavy until right before Christmas. And then you have tends to be a little bit slow the week between Christmas and New Year's and even into the first week of the new year. Um, specific commodities are going to vary and certain geographical area areas are going to vary depending on a ton of circumstances. So, but I will tell you that some of the very predictable things throughout the year are you're going to have a, a peak season of shipping between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And you'll tend to have a, a peak season of shipping um, right around other certain holidays. Like 4th of July is a big one, right? If you look at like shipping volumes on um, sonar from freight waves or from any other statistical database out there, you'll see big peaks leading up to those holidays and then a drop on the actual holiday or right after Christmas and this holiday season example. Um, but yeah, but but I'm curious this year compared to re- other years. I, I mean, I haven't seen anything drastically different. Rates are different, but have you seen anything different in volume? that's like noteworthy. Yeah. Across the board? So there was actually something this morning. I saw it on X or Twitter as I was looking through the other stuff we were talking about. And Craig Fuller posted something that I've seen from a few other people that this year, the trend usually continues up, meaning rates still keep climbing through this week to your point closer to Christmas. And it looks like they're not like they have just started to tail off. And again, it could be for a lot of reasons. The one thing that I know everyone was wanting to see was this Christmas season with interest rates being up and things getting more expensive. No one really knew how much consumers were going to spend for the holiday. It seemed to be probably a little better than expected. But it's also very possible that like people just bought things a lot earlier this year, because again, yeah. even though that time frame tends to play out, what everyone else also doesn't think about is last year was worse than a normal. The year before was the worst anyone has ever seen due to the pandemic. So lots of retailers have started to start. We know this start Christmas earlier, but yep. even the sales. So like your Black Friday volume of sales was down because a lot of those sales are happening earlier in the year, September, October. And that could be one of the reasons why you're not seeing the peak go all the way up to Christmas. And it could, I mean, could be a lot of things, but yes, typically you see that almost all the way up through the end of the week. For sure. All right. Next question. Um, Is there a market for freight brokers to work with freight forwarders to outsource the broker's carrier procurement? So let let me try to, it was really weird how the question was, was worded, but basically what he's saying is if I'm a freight broker, can I go to a freight forwarder and try to use their I'm I'm assuming I want to get access to their list of trucks or their their carrier uh, database. Um, I would say no, it's the other way around. Uh, oftentimes a freight forwarder will want to use a broker to handle a lot of their domestic transportation. Cool. So I think yeah. what, what, what's being asked here is the the broker saying I don't have a big carrier network. Can I go partner with a freight forwarder and access their carrier network and co-broker to them? Um, maybe, but more likely it's the other way around where a freight forwarder, they're, what they're really 
their niche and their expertise is, is international shipping, customs clearance, um, import, export, right? They don't oftentimes want to deal with the headaches of domestic um, deal. They don't want to deal with a truck driver domestically in the U.S. for a variety of reasons, right? So they'll say, hey, broker, we'll hire you. We'll give you our freight. You get it delivered wherever it's going. Um, if I'm a freight broker, I should not have to rely on a freight forwarder to find me capacity. Just you're, first of all, if you did that, you're adding margin that's not you're 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 adding costs that are not necessary because they're going to make a margin. And just get, go out there and develop your own carrier base. I think a lot of brokers don't do this. Am I reading the question wrong? Are you take it any differently? Uh, yeah, I'm really confused because I'm like, well, okay, like procurement is the process of obtaining or purchasing goods or services. Right. Literally, what a freight broker does is it's procure trucks. Is procure trucks for a customer. So, like, we are by definition outsourcing. They, our customers, are outsourcing their procurement to us, and we can just do it faster and more effectively. That is what we do. So, in yeah, every right. sense, if you're hiring a truck for your customer, they're outsourcing their procurement to you. So that yeah, is what we do. A, yeah. Always. So. If you're a freight broker, that's part of your job is to find that truck. So if you're going to outsource finding the truck to a freight forwarder, that freight forwarder is just, they're going to want that shipper what do you truck do? themselves. Yeah, what do you, they're already, already finding the truck. You know what I mean? All so. we do is find carriers. Yeah. Like, I don't really know how. But hey, no, yeah. there's no dumb questions on this show. I'm just a little confused. Yeah, for sure. Not a dumb question. Just trying to understand what yep. they were asking. For sure. Um, you can outsource your procurement to a forwarder if it's an international shipment because we're not yes. licensed to do that do that all the time so if we have For a sure. shipper that needs a load to go from buffalo new york to spain you might find a truck to get it to a port and a freight forwarder or actually even to a freight forwarder's dock and then they get it taken to either you know the airport around the corner or to a port and then it gets sent over and that final miles, the final mile delivery is done by them. Um, so yeah, good, good question. I suppose last question. How do I, this is a great one. How do I research a shipper before cold calling? Almost zero information is on their website. Hmm. I, I would challenge that. I think you can get a lot of information off of a customer's website. So here's what I will use a website for. Um, Know the basics about them, right? Understand like where they're located, which you'll typically find their headquarters or a list of offices if they have multiple locations, um, what their commodity is specifically. Uh, and, and you might even get a list of like personnel. You're probably not going to find a shipping manager on there. There's not going to be a page that's got like the, the shipping manager's name and um, a list of their hours with their cell phone number and a list of the 20 biggest headaches that they're having right now, right? You've got to go to other places. So there are things like LinkedIn, Zoom Info, Apollo.io, ways to get data and contact information for decision makers. Um, and then I'll, I'll talk about like some of the different people to get a hold of and to talk to. But do you have anything else on like how to research them before I go down that road? No, I mean, you Google's pretty covered good, everything. man. I mean, their web- website. Yeah. If you can find their website or any news or anything is about it and then and I can't find anything there, that's what the prospecting call is for, is to yep. uncover the information that you couldn't find elsewhere. And to be honest, that's a good thing because if you're curious and you have lots of questions, call them, ask them, because that's the best way to build rapport and to start a cold call anyway. So that's not a bad position to be in. 
And then, you know, when you make those calls, there's going to be different priorities for different people, right? So like we always talk about like the traffic manager, but that's not the only person you might talk to. It could be a purchaser. It could be a sales rep. Um, it could be a higher level person that handles um, distribution in general, but like a uh, traffic manager, oftentimes their main goal is like just the service, right? Like I need to make sure that trucks pick up on time so that my job, like so that I look good, right? Whereas a, a purchaser might be worried about cost um, versus service because they're looking at the, the total um, the overall price there, right? The total spend. Um, a sales rep that might be selling a product could be a mix of maybe a little bit of both. They want to make sure that they're not digging into their margin on their sale of whatever it is, but they also want to make sure their customer receives the product so they don't lose a customer. So, And you might have to talk to a few of these different people as well as a maybe an onboarding department to go through the vetting steps to become an approved broker or motor carrier. Um, but just, yeah, you know, get some basic information from the website. You could use a Google alert to set up news about some of these larger shippers or at least the industry that they operate in. So if you're dealing a lot with steel, put in a Google alert that's going to give you updates about the steel industry each day or each week. Um, and then just kind of put yourself in the shoes of whoever you're talking to, because it might be a different um, conversation with, you know, each always one. do that, but for sure. Right here, here's also just a super easy way to do it. Pick up the phone and you call them and you tell them why you were interested. And then you ask them the question that you couldn't find. And you tell them that say, yep. Hey, really interested in possibly doing business with you because of this, this, or this, whatever that is, whatever interested you in the first place, tell them that that will flatter them and say, Hey, I was digging around, wanted to find a few more things about you, wasn't able to find anything. Out of curiosity, then ask the question, right? Yep. That's it. There's your script. Have a good call and then you'll either learn or you'll further it to the next conversation. For sure. Good questions. Keep sending them in. Oh, we got. We do have one more. I almost forgot to add this in here. All right, David. David emailed us. said, my question is this. If I'm a sales agent for a freight broker, I have the contact at the shipper and set up the broker and help negotiate the rates and commitments. Plus, I'm involved in keeping the relationship going. But the actual broker invoices and does the shipment truck assignment, dispatch, tracking, and invoicing. What is my portion of the equation worth? Some accounts might have 12%, 15%, 18% gross margin or gross profit. And not everyone is the same amount. Not everyone does the same amount of work. So would I get a percentage of the percentage? If so, how much? Okay, so... David is a a freight finder is how I'll just I'll break it down that way. So he's essentially a, a he's an agent of a freight brokerage. He's not the licensed broker himself. So he's out there finding freight from customers. Uh, but it sounds like that someone else in the company is actually booking the trucks, tracking and tracing and all that stuff. So um, he's wondering, do I get paid a percentage of the margin? To answer that question, absolutely, right? You're you should only ever get compensated off of your margin, um, because if you make, you know, let's say a load is a thousand dollar load, but it only makes a hundred bucks. Well, you can't get paid more than a hundred dollars because there's only a hundred dollars profit in there, and you're not going to get all of it. So what you'll tend to see as an agent, if you're a full cradle to grave agent, which means you're doing the dispatching and finding the trucks, you could see seventy percent. Um, if you're just a freight finder, in my experience, I've seen those people make half, sometimes even less than that, because all they're really doing, depending on their involvement, all they're really doing is introducing the brokerage to a shipper. 
Um, a lot of shippers have needs, but doesn't mean that the brokerage can successfully procure trucks in a way to actually uh, bring a healthy margin, right? Anyone can go out there and call a bunch of steel or lumber companies and get on a load list today. It's easy, but it doesn't mean you're going to cover those loads and make any money doing it. So you're going to get paid a percentage of that gross profit. Yes. Yeah. The other thing is if you're, again, I'll just say that we'll take that sales agent is a loosely used term. If you're working in a W2, you might get anywhere from 5% to 15% of GP for doing this job. If you didn't find the customer and bring it in yourself, if you brought the customer in, you're probably 10, 15 to 25. If you're a W2, if you're an agent, to your point, I've never seen anything above 50. Most are probably 25 to 40% of yeah, GP. Yeah. yeah, for bringing the business in, managing the relationship. And that's about it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, Beth Carroll, I think, think back to our conversation with her. Like, she's adamant on like not paying somebody in forever for just bringing in an account. Yeah. Because they're not incentivized to like do it more. Yeah. So, and there's something to be said about that. You got to like make sure that they're involved in the operation, trying to grow it and stuff like that. So, good stuff. Um, I hope everyone had a great Christmas and happy new year. It's coming up. Um, we're going to have some awesome stuff in 20. Do we have anything for 2024 to tease yet or not yet? Nothing. Getting there. All right. We'll we'll put something together. But uh, all right, man. Final thoughts, man. What do you got? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills.